that. Again, we're glad you're here tonight. And take your Bibles in Nehemiah chapter number 13. Last chapter in the book. Some of you saying, hey, man, we're done with this book. <laughs> we're going to make chapter 13 into seven lessons, so let's, let's go. <laughs> we're gonna, we'll see what we can do tonight. One, one verse a day. The verse 13, verse 1, oh, or on. Let's, let's exegete that if we could. Actually, we're not. Let's, uh, we're, Nehemiah 13. And we'll see how far the Lord lets us get tonight. And uh, we uh, don't like to stretch. We're not, we don't stretch things out just because we can stretch things out. We want to give truth and, and, uh, and present something that will help you and, and be a blessing to you. We're not learning only biblical history here, but we want it to be applicable for our lives. How can, how's this going to help me? How is a, is, is a bunch of Jewish people building a wall, uh, you know, 2,500 years ago going to help my life? in 2024. How's that helped me? And so we tried to give you some practical uh, biblical principles throughout this series of messages that we can apply to our lives. For instance, these men and women built this wall against great opposition. And anything that's ever attempted for Almighty God will face great opposition. And don't ever forget that. Anytime you try to serve Almighty God, you will face great opposition. Satan's not going to, oh, he wants to serve God, yay! And watch you go down the street. He's going to try to stop you. And we see all that they went through. We see the obstacles and the, and the setbacks and all the setbacks and all the delays and all the political wrangling they had to go through. They did not stop serving God. And here we are in this day and time and, and uh, political opposition to Christianity and biblical beliefs is, is growing stronger. You and I, you, you have to understand this is not going to get better anytime soon. We can pray for a change in the administration, and we're still going to see the tidal wave that is flowing down the, the road here. It just may stem it just a little bit. Listen, if you want to have your own service, just go ahead, Brother Joel. I realize that guy you listen to on the Internet is probably better than I am. But, uh... This was actually on the screen. Uh, sorry. I shared it with someone. Oh, okay. That was Ethan singing. Oh, no wonder it sounded so beautiful. I was like, wow. That's okay, brother. It's, I have no idea what I was saying, <laughs> where I was going. But so we have this this tidal wave of opposition coming at us, and, and listen, your Bible is going is, is being labeled hate speech. Preachers are going to jail. Uh, even in Canada, they're going to jail because they dare had church during COVID. Uh, the uh, so many things are going on, and, and, and the Bible's hate speech, and, and Christians are being labeled as the ones who are responsible uh, for when people commit suicide because of their sinful, wicked life, is which is sinful and wicked and, uh, and opposite of nature. And when they commit suicide, they say it's the Christian's fault because the Christians are not accepting to their lifestyle. So we get blamed for that. We've seen that in the Scripture. When Again, they're trying to serve God and, and, uh, and, and live for the Lord and and well, the reason we got problems is because of these people over here, and they point to those Jewish men and women over there. So tonight, as we finish up this chapter, and as we uh, look at it, uh, and we put ourselves trying to figure out what's going on, and what the Lord has for us here. Find my right place here. Again, in, in, in the last chapter of Nehemiah, 
refers to Nehemiah's actions as he returns back to the land the second time. He said it's the second time. Yes, he had to leave. He had been governor in, in Israel for 12 years. And then he returned to King Artaxerxes for several years. Remember that the king allowed him to leave. He worked for the king in the Persian Empire. He was the cupbearer. And the king granted him leave to go back to Israel to help rebuild the walls. And, and he stayed there for many years. But then again, he had to go back uh, to his employer, the king, and work there for several years. But then he is allowed to come back to Judah again. And, and, and upon returning to Judah, he finds that the conditions had deteriorated. The, 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 when he left this, everything was a well-oiled machine, spiritually speaking, Politically speaking, everything was going smooth. And he leaves, goes back to Persia to work as the, for the king again. Then when he returns, it's, we'll see in this chapter a lot of sad things that have happened. And, uh, and he's going to take very strong action to correct these matters. In fact, some of these actions that we see here and in, and in the book of Ezra would uh, disturb a lot of Christians. If some pastor was to shake things up, as much as he's going to shake things up. And, and there's really um, five parts to chapter number 13 uh, that he's going to deal with. He's going to talk about the congregation and how they had become unseparated. And by unseparated, I mean as they had intermarried. The temple had become unclean. Uh, the ministers had not been paid. The, the Sabbath day that they were supposed to keep hallowed had become unhallowed and they're doing business on the Sabbath day. And, and then there was unsanctified marriages that were going on. So these, these five things he's got to deal with, which are very important not only to the people of Israel, but to Almighty God. So in verse number one, we read, On the day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass, when they had heard the law, they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. Father, bless this time now, and help us, we pray, to understand Scripture, and Lord, to put it in its rightful place, and to, uh, to understand truth. Help us, Lord, to see what we need to do in our lives. And, and how we need to live in our day. Bless this time, this hour now, in Jesus' name, amen. In verses 1 through 3, we have what we call the unseparated congregation. The congregation of Israel had become polluted. And again, be, let me be careful with this and understand that the time. Let me say these things, and then we'll go back and clarify things. The land had become polluted through letting many foreigners become part of the congregation. Now, if we were to put that in perspective, it would be like having a lost person become a member of a local church. Somebody who's never been sanctified and saved by the grace of Almighty God now will suddenly hold a position inside the local church, which is not scriptural. A person in order to be, uh, become a member, and again, anybody's welcome to attend the church, but membership, there's, usually, there's, there's biblical qualifications a person has to meet in order to become a member of a local church. And so the problem of an unseparate congregation was exposed here through the reading of Scripture. They understood that there were things going on, that these people were in the land. They were not serving as, uh, as Jews. They were not converting to Judaism. 
And it says, on that day, and again, it's not in chronological order to the previous text in Nehemiah. Uh, some translate this phrase, a better way, maybe uh, uh, about that time. So regardless of the time, it's important in this reading here that they were reading Scripture. It says in verse 1, and it talks about how they, they read, the, they read uh, and what they're reading there uh, is the Bible, how it was therein found written. Again, where was it written? They read the Scriptures. And, and, and the reading of the Word of God, my friend, is very important in our life. You cannot live a Christian life and not read your Bible. You, you, if you're going to grow, you have to spend time in this book and read chap, a chap, couple chapters a day. This is not the verse of the month club. You know, we, we have that, you know, this is the verse of the day. You can pop up on your phone. That's good and wonderful. That's great. You should try to memorize those verses when they pop up on your phone if you have that app and do things like that. But you need to read a chapter, two chapters, three, five. Five won't, won't kill you. And it really doesn't take you very long. If you were to read, like, the book of Ephesians, you can, you can be through with that book in normal reading time in 10 minutes. It's, we look like the whole book of Ephesians. Ten minutes, you will be done at a normal reading speed. That's not a lot of your time. That's not, that doesn't even come close to the amount of time you spend on your phone looking at social media or playing a game or searching the news sites or whatever things you do. It's not a lot of time. We can do that in no time at all. We can read a couple psalms a day. We can, and, and I encourage you to start in Genesis and start working your way through. And a good thing to do with your Bible is read a couple chapters and then read a, read a psalm a day. Again, it's, some of them are only eight verses. Now, of course, you get to Psalm 119, which is, I think, 172 verses. And then you just read uh, a letter, which is what? Just eight verses. Then you can do that. And then a, a proverb a day. There's 30, uh, 31 chapters in Proverbs and, and, and just... One, proverb, one chapter in Proverbs a day will give you one chapter, of one, the book in a month. Unless you're doing it in February, but you get the idea. You're doing one month here. You, you read Proverbs. And you, so a, a simple Bible, I'm going to read a couple of chapters as I'm going through chronologically. Let me read some psalm, a psalm and let me read a proverb, a chapter each. And, and, and really within a half hour of your life, you're done with your Bible reading, but you have absorbed the Word of God. You have spent time with God and reading your Bible. And there is no substitute for the Word of God. I have a thousand books that I, that I own. This is just a small collection. Uh, and I have boxes in my basement of books. And uh, they're, they're, they're all good books. But again, the, the most important book that I need to keep reading is this book. Every book is about the Bible. And the best thing you can do is read the book itself. And that's your best teacher and your best guide in the truth. And by the way, reading the Bible will straighten you out in a lot of preaching you hear. Amen. And just read your book. Spend time in your Bible. And they're here reading the Bible. They're spending time and they're finding out what God has for them here. And it says in verse 1, therein was found written. And so the word was read to learn what, was, what, it, what it said. Again, what does God say on this topic what does God say we should be doing here? And what they're learning is how the Ammonites and the Moabites should not come into the congregation of God forever. And that's found, uh, we see the scripture revealed that these two nations were not allowed to be in the congregation of Israel. And that may seem strict and strange to us. Can anybody name a famous Moabite in the Bible? Somebody said it. 
Ruth. Ruth, the Moabitess. And, uh, and so there we have a very famous Moabite. But what did the Moabites do? Why, did, why was God so strict that these people were not allowed to become part of the congregation of Israel? So we, this goes back to uh, who are the Moabites and the Ammonites? Where did they come from? Well, it's a very ugly story on where these people came from and, and their, their ancestry comes from. If you're to trace their family tree, when God was destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, who did he call out of Sodom? He called Lot. And Lot left with his two daughters and his wife. And what happened to Lot's wife? She disobeyed God. She turned around and looked at the destruction of Sodom, and God turned her into a pillar of salt. And so she died. And the two daughters, who were so very worldly and so very wicked, they thought the entire world was being destroyed, not just Sodom and Gomorrah. They thought everything was being destroyed. And there they got their father drunk, and they had an incestuous relationship there in those mountains with their father while he was drunk. And they both gave, and they both got, uh, with that relationship, uh, had two boys. And those two boys, and from those two children come the nations of the Ammonites and the Moabites come from those two boys. Now, God's not judging a nation, and God's not hating a people because they come from an incestuous relationship. In incest is a very bad sin. It's a gross sin. It's a sin that I cannot even begin to comprehend. I, I, I don't understand that one. I, 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 I have no understanding, and I have no patience for any human being who commits that sin. There, 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 there's, there's chairs with electricity attached to them to deal with them people. I, I, I just have no use for them. It's a sick, sick sin. And, uh, of course, what happened with these people and, and with Lot, again, strange circumstances. But the reason God had put this judgment upon them was not because of their beginnings, but because of what they ended up doing. The children of Israel are marching through the wilderness. They have not gone into the promised land yet. And as they're making their way through the land, we find in, in, in Scripture, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, that there's are coming upon the land of the Moabites and the Ammonites that they're, you know, we're going to be passing through your land and we make a promise, we'll pay you for your food, we'll do this. And they, 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 you know, they're going to be, you know, we're not going to attack you or raid you. We just want to pass through. We want to, you know, cut through town. And you know, that's okay with you. We'll pay you for everything. We, and they said, no, you can't pass through here. We're not going to let you. And so what they ended up doing, if you remember the story, they hired a false prophet by the name of Balaam to put a curse upon the children of Israel. And we remember the story how Balaam tried to put a curse upon the children of Israel. But every time he went to speak, his curse became a blessing. And what did he say? He said, you know what, I, I, I like to curse these people, but God won't let me curse them. Here's what you do. If you really want to destroy the children of Israel, you take your daughters and bring them over to the camp of the Israelites and let them hook up with, the, with their sons over there and have this this mixed relationship. Let them start committing fornication and, 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 and whoredoms and everything else and, and just, you know, do that and God will get ticked off and God will bring judgment. And they did that and God did bring judgment. It was only by the hand of Eliezer that the judgment of God was stopped. And it's for that reason God punished the, the Ammonites and the Moabites because of that great sin. And we may think, well, that's nothing, but no, God took it seriously. 
because God told the Jewish people, you are to remain Jewish, and you're not to mix marry, and you're not to intermingle with these people, because these people, again, they, they worship false pagan gods, and, and, and the gods that they worshiped were very bad gods in the sense of how they worship these false deities. Now remember, there's no, they, they're not real. There's only God. But in how they worship these two gods, there were two main gods. And the, we always talk about Baal. The Baal, Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal. And uh, Baal is not really a god. Baal is kind of a generic term for all the false gods. So when somebody says they worship Baal, it's just simply saying they worshiped all of these false deities. But there are two main deities that they worship. And uh, one was the goddess uh, known as Ashtaroth. Sometimes she would go by the, she would ha- her name would change throughout history. Isis and, and, uh, and Ishtar and, and other names. But it's the same deity. And if you want to worship her, you had to go down to her temple where there were male and female prostitutes and you would engage in worship in the temple. Then there was the god um, whose name just fled my mind. And uh, Lord, now you know his name. I can see it, the image in my head. But uh, it'll come to me. If you know it, please yell it out. Help me. What? Molech. Thank you. Molech. And Molech, again, to worship Molech, you sacrificed your children to Molech. And there's, I read two descriptions of how you worshipped Molech. One, he was a, a giant brass statue with a large belly, and in his op- belly was an open opening, and there was a fire in there, and basically you threw your children to the fire. Another description has Molech holding out, a, uh, again, a fire underneath him, so this bronze statue is heated up to a cherry red, and he's holding a, a basically a tray that is also heated to a cherry red, and basically you tossed your children on there, and and fried your children alive there to that god to worship the god Molech. And so the, all these nations that Israel's going through are all involved in this practice. And we know that if you get involved in this immorality, it spreads disease. And then also the murdering of these children. Uh, this, these two gods would plague the nation of Israel for most of their, their time. You'll read about it when you read in Kings and Chronicles about them building groves. And and in the groves, when you read about groves in the Bible, it's a place in the woods where they went and they had these false wooden idols set up. When I was a kid in high school, we had to take electives. And so I always looked for the dumbest elective to take. That's my lazy bone. And so I took art class. I mean, it's art Nothing against art. I'm talking, you know, I'm talking about fake art, Chris. Okay, fake art. You know, we, my my teacher was something, some leftover from the '60s. Amen. She was still, you know, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding, and had the no nuke sign hanging in the in her thing, and she was just, and uh, and so in that class, I learned a lot of different tricks about art and how to draw things, and we did a lot of drawings and and uh, sketching, and it was a, I, I, it was fun. But one thing we learned, and also learned how to tie-dye T-shirts. You know, all we needed was was Jerry Garcia to show up, and we could have had with our tie-dye T-shirts. But one thing we learned in there, which is very interesting, which goes back to ancient pagan practice, we made God's eyes. Now, God's eyes, basically, you take a stick and you cross them together, and then you take a piece of 
wool, what are those things called? That's string, colored string, and then you basically start weaving it around the sticks till you basically work. I forget we worked from the center out or the outside in. I forget how we worked it, but you, but you can use different color strings and, and, and make what we, you call God's eyes. You can Google that later on, but these God's eyes, really, the, the, the people just hang them up. It's just a decoration. Wow, man, look at my, my artwork hanging up there and, and they sell them at the you know, giant stadium over there, the flea market with the rest of the weirdos. And, uh, and, and so you can go, <laughs> again, no offense to artists, God, but I'm not making fun of Chris here. Trust me, I'm not. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know the, what we're talking about here, these God's eyes. And so, but that God's eyes, when you study it, really goes back to these groves and the worshiping of gods and deities and pagan false gods. In there. It's, it's the same age, the same thing as the New Age movement, which is worshiping the trees and nature. They've taken over. That's why the, the New Age people have taken over. You go up to New Hampshire and Vermont, they basically own those things. That's why they hate SUVs and vehicles that fumes. They're all out there hugging trees and, and worshiping nature and talking to nature and, and hugging trees. There's videos on, the, on YouTube. Just Google it there and find them on there in the woods, worshiping in the, in, in the groves. It's the same thing. Nothing has really changed. It's satanic. We worship the creator, not the creation, as the Bible says. Now, again, I'm not for killing our creation. I like creation. I, I live on this planet. I like to stay around as long as I can. So I'm not in favor of destroying it. But I'm not worshiping it either. I'm not apologizing to a tree because I cut it down. I walked through Lowe's the other day. I wasn't crying. I'm like, I need a good straight piece. Amen. Thank you, tree. I need a good straight one here. And, and grabbed me a couple two-by-fours and took them home with me. But Israel had been worshiping these God warned them, when you go through the land and you meet these people, don't get involved with them because they're committing gross, gross sins. And, 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 and they're doing really bad things. And he, what, one thing that God always say, do not learn the way of the heathen. Don't learn about what they're doing. I just want to know from my education. Don't learn about it. Just, just stay, don't look at it. I know, I've known guys who say, you know what, I'm going to study... Uh, sin and so I can preach against it. I know guys who've studied, forgive me, but they've studied how to help people with pornography only to end up themselves enslaved in it. Just stay, it's bad. <laughs> Just stay away from it. You don't need to know about it. Just stay away from it because it has a pull. All sin has a tug that you can feel. And you ought to stay away from it. This is pulling me in. I don't like it. Let me get out of here. Be careful. So God warned these people. So the, the, when these children of Israel, what they had done is they allowed these Moabites and Ammonites to come in. Now, Moabites and Ammonites were allowed to come in only if they were converting to Judaism. But they were not allowed to set up shop and have like we do in this country, which is not wrong, by the way. I'm not saying it's wrong. You go to New York City, there's Little Italy, and there's Chinatown, and there's other little sections. You overgo Jersey City there. You've got Little India over there on Newark Ave. Those are wonderful places. I've, been to, I've ate in all three of those areas. Great. But in Israel, they weren't ha allowed to have Little Moabite <laughs> and, and, and Ammonite Village. No, we don't do that. 
This is for Israel. This is for Jewish people. We're not letting you set up shop and have your pagan deities here. Now, as Americans, this is a whole different thing. We're America. We're not a theocracy. We are a republic. And so that we can have a Hindu temple down the street. We can have the mosque on Midland Avenue. And we can have the Pentecostal church and the Roman Catholic church across the street and the synagogue up on the pike. We disagree with their theology, and it's our job to reach them with the saving gospel. But they have the same freedom to worship and uh, sit in their building and, and worship their deity uh, with, 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 without fear of somebody kicking in their door. But Israel was different. Israel was a theocracy and they worshiped Almighty God. So you could not bring your gods into our community. Ruth came into the countryside. Why? Because she said, your God will be my God. She converted over to Judaism. So under that guise, they were allowed to come in. But to set up shop as Moabites and Ammonites and say, you know what? Here we are. Again, I think everybody ought to assimilate into a culture. I think everybody ought to be, uh, become Americans and become part of the community. But it doesn't mean, again, uh, if you want to go over to a, a, a section and, and, and where certain people have congregated, but as long as they, you know, you, they're still flying old glory. Uh, the way I feel about it. Now, so God is encouraging there in this, in this business of, of separation. And so they're going to have a response to the word of God. So when they heard the law in verse number three, they separated themselves from Israel and all the mixed multitude. Again, what did they do is they separated themselves from these people. Israel separated themselves from the mixed multitude. I mean, separation is not always popular and it's usually painful, but it's the right thing to do. It's, it's the right thing to do because, again, nine times out of ten, most people get pulled away from God instead of pulling people towards God. You see it all the time. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date this person. Well, you know, they're not saved. They don't love the Lord. But I'm going to work on them, convert them. And next thing you know, the person's gone. And, and, and it was said, again, I, I don't know too much about them. But I, uh, Mark Twain, uh, Samuel Clemens, the American author, and, and a great author, by the way. His books are wonderful to read. Every, every American ought to read uh, Mark Twain and, and Huckleberry Finn. They're classics. They really are. They've they got powerful messages to them. And most of his books do. But Samuel Clemens was not really a believer. He wasn't really a Christian man. He believed there was a God, but you know, eh, he's out there, I'm here, and that's, that's fine. But he fell in love with a woman who was a Christian, and he, tr and he tried to court her for the longest time, and she always put him off, but eventually... She gave in, and she fell in love, and they were married, and they had children together and, and raised their children together. But instead of her dragging, pulling him towards God, he ended up dragging her away from her God. And, uh, and they, had a, they really had a very sad and tragic life, the, 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 the Clemens family. And it, it wasn't really a happy, and they very rich, and, but it, just a lot of tragedy there. And, uh, and as she was dying, it said that he he said, you know, I forget her name, but he's like, you know, sweetheart, why don't you, oh, why don't you talk to your God, have your God help you, you know, why don't you talk to the Lord about this, and and I forget her exact words, but it's basically, you know, I, I've I've been so far removed from my God for so long, I don't know if He'll hear me, type thing is what she said, and that's a sad state of affairs, and she would pass away, and he'd be a very lonely man without her, and again, tragic life they had, all that money, all that fame. And yet they, 
they had a sad existence. They loved each other, but they had a sad existence together. So God wanted them to separate, and God did not want them together because he knew, he, God knows what will happen. God knows what people will do. Again, if you have friends that don't love God, you'll find yourself with your friends who don't love God. You'll find you being pulled to them instead of you being pulled away, uh, pulling them towards the Lord. I can witness this in my own life when I was a, a young man a long time ago and how I uh, was trying to witness to my friends and share Christ with my friends and talk to my friends about the Lord. And eventually they all left me because Matt, you know, Matt's, and my phone stopped ringing and, 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 and the car stopped coming to pick me up little by little because, you know, Matt's not doing the, the fun things anymore. And I won't tell you what the fun things were, but they were sinful things that my friends were doing, very sinful things. And I, I said, you know, I, I want no part of that. I'm, we're going to go here tonight. I, I don't want to go there tonight. Well, what do you want to do? I don't know. We're not going there, though. And I don't want to do that, though. And, and can we stop listening to this? Because this guy's cursing my God. He's blaspheming my God. I, can we put something else on? And put, put, a, put a other less blasphemous rock and roll song on the, on the cassette deck. Can we do that? And, and eventually, you know, and, and so they left. And it's just me and the Lord. Separation can be painful, and it was painful. But God blessed, and God always took care of you. And God will take care of you. And so there's a separation that they had to do in the land because of what they allowed to come into the countryside. Also, they had in verses 4 through 9, is the, the second problem recorded in our text, which Nehemiah had to correct, was the problem of the, the unclean temple. And by unclean, it doesn't mean that they didn't sweep the floors it because of what pollution they allowed, what, what, what idols and other things were allowed into the, into the temple. It says in verse 4, And before this, Elishab, the priest, having oversight over the chamber of the house of God, was uh, allied unto Tobiah. Now, if you remember in any of these things we read, Tobiah was the enemy. He's the enemy. And what has the enemy done? This is the guy who tried to... Well, at one point in time, tried to pull Nehemiah away so they can pull him off to a meeting to have him killed. I tried to do some mafia move on him. Uh, or they got political involvement with the king and had uh, political orders, papers drawn up, and ceased to work, stop building, because we got this uh, cease and desist order on the construction project down here. And we're, we're trying to investigate, see if you, what you guys are doing. And Tobias is not a, a good man. It says in verse 5, and he prepared for him a great chamber. Where aforetime they laid the meat offering and the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes, the corn, the new wine and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the, and the priest. And so what's going on here is Tobiah, who's the, this enemy of the Jews, was provided a dwelling place in one of the chambers of the temple. Here's a guy who hates this temple and hates these Jewish people. And all of a sudden, he's given a, a, a room. And it's not just like a little tiny room. It's probably a nice place, all fixed up nice, for this guy to set up shop. He's in the temple. How can this godless infidel be given a place in the temple? And this room that you guys took and are, have fixed up for him is the place where we used to store all the corn and the wine and everything else. That was a special place. And you guys have cleaned it out and given it to him. How could you do that? Don't you know who this guy is? It's evil man, is right, he's evil. And yet you've given him this special place here. How could you do this? It's like being given uh, one of the great enemies of a, of a nation. Can you imagine World War II, FDR setting up a, a place in the White House. So this is a room over here, and we're going to let Adolf stay here every now and then. 
Adolf's going to come over. He's going to camp out. You know, it's all right. You, know, you don't mind if Hitler has a little room in the White House, do you? We'd all, we'd all flip out or go back to the Civil War. Well, you know, here's the, the White House, and, and President Lincoln has set up a room where Jeff Davis, the president of the Confederacy, where he can stay and, and he can camp out. No, we're not allowing that. We're not letting that guy stay here. He's the enemy. Tobias, the enemy. You guys have given him a place. And how dare you do these things? So again, because all the things that were stored there, the, 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 the food that was stored there, again, this, this room provided for Ty, again, was a room designed to store the supplies for the salaries of those who ministered in the temple. To provide for this man meant moving out of the chamber the various offerings and supplies given to the Levites, the singers, and the porters in verse number five. So what's happening? This effectively stopped the salary of these ministers. It gave an enemy of God who opposed the work of God more favor than those who were helping the work of God. You think, how could they do something, something so, so foolish? I don't know. Here's my tithe. Let's see. I can give this down to the church, which is going to help keep the church bills open and help pay the pastor, pastor so the pastor has a salary. Or I can say, you know what? Forget the church. I'm going to use my tithe, and I'm going to go to, to, a, to a concert tonight and listen to some godless infidel get up there and blaspheme and use God's name in vain and curse, and everybody's going to be smoking dope around me. Let me give my money over there. There's really no difference. You deny the church of God so that you can give it to some other source that hates Almighty God. That's effectively what they've done. So now these people, these Levites and these singers and these porters, are not getting a salary because the, the, the temple place where the things are stored has now been given to this guy who hates God. And so again, how many Christians will steal from God and rob money from the church so that they can put that towards their own pleasures and their own luxuries and their own toys instead of giving. Again, you can do whatever you want with your money provided as a Christian you remember this belongs to God. This belongs to God. And when we take that which belongs to God and use it on something, well, is that something wrong in the eyes of Almighty God? Is that entertainment, that pleasure? Well, you know, I'm going to use it. I'm going to, I'm going to go down to, I'm going to go to Vegas for the weekend. I'm going to go out to the Bethlehem and hit the casinos out there. I'm going, to, I'm going to go down and I'm going to do this. I'm going to put it on some movie and watch some Hollywood movie. Well, I've got to, you know, I've got to keep the, the, my, my internet connection up so I can continue to get all the filthy programming that comes through and see the filthy programming and, and, and watch those things instead of giving it to God's work. That's in essence what they were doing. And you were wondering if this was applicable for us to, or not. Of course it is. And so what happens? Nehemiah shows up and he's flipping out. What, what in the world? What, what, are you, what are you doing? Don't you know who this guy is? How dare you give this guy a room? You kick him out and, well, we get, he's on a lease program. I don't care what the lease says. He's, he's out now. Well, can he spend the night now? <laughs> Drag that bum out now. Kick him out now. 
He says in verse number 6, But in this time was not I in Jerusalem, for in the two-thirds and thirtieth year of King Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I into the king, and in certain days obtained leave of the king. So again, evil will always operate that way. Let leadership be missing for a little bit, and that, my friend, is when things come into play. When did the children of Israel build their golden calf and worship and dance naked around it and party around it and commit fornication around that golden calf? When Moses was on the mountain meeting with God and getting the laws of God, and then they had some worldly associate pastor by the name of Aaron down there building that golden calf for them to worship around. Leadership was missing. When did Eve fall into sin when the leadership, her husband, was not around? And when leadership is not around, the people have a tendency to, to go off and to sin. Let a church be without a pastor for any length of time. I've never, ever, 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 ever heard of a church growing and staying morally right and biblically pure and not having a pastor at the helm. Now, there may be some godly deacons and other men running things so they can get a good pastor, but they ought to get one. Within, within time frame. There's no reason for a church going two, three years without a pastor. Something wrong with that. The guys come in, well, he wasn't our cup of tea. He was this, he was that. And, and it's, it turns into a popularity contest instead of who God wants. I got a letter years ago from a church saying, thank you for your letter, uh, for candidating for a church. Your, your credentials are wonderful and you have all these things. And, but we're looking for somebody. I'm like, dude, I never applied. I don't even know what you're talking about. And what it turns out is I had a letter of recommendation for a friend of mine who was trying to get into the pastorate. And somehow these confused deacons thought it was me candidating instead of realizing I was giving a letter of recommendation for this guy. And I sat down as quickly as I possibly can and, and, and I wrote out a letter because I didn't have a computer back then and I handed it to somebody in the church here, type this up for me and make it sound human and, and punctuations and everything else. And, but in my letter, I basically told them, I said, listen, I didn't candidate for this place. I'm not looking for your church. And the problem with your church is, and I listed all their sins that's wrong with their church. I said, you're looking for the guy who's old enough to reach the old people, but young enough to work with the young people and, and has uh, this degree and, and from college and all these other things. I said, what you guys need to do is, is just call an all-night prayer meeting and lay on your face before Almighty God and beg and cry and ask Jesus Christ to give you the man He wants for your church and not the one the church wants for the church. You know, I never heard back from them. They, they never wrote back in anything. They just, but I was pretty, I should have kept a copy of that thing. And uh, they, they never wrote back. If I drop dead tomorrow, you need to get a pastor, you need to get one right away, and, and, and the people of this church need to get together and say, we want a pastor, and, we're gonna, and you're going to pray about it. And you're going to ask God to give you the right man. Man, by the way. Man. Always been a man. Will always stay a man. Not thinking about crossing streams. You want a man who's going to be in here and, 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 and make sure he's got the right Bible and, and, and loves Jesus Christ. And, and loves the Lord. And go from there. So again, he wasn't there. And again, sin will always, always things, crazy things always happen when I go on vacation. Pastor, you know, 
I've only been gone two days, and some psycho has to come in, and I'll deal with that when I get back. Just don't let anything crazy happen till then. Hold the fort, and, and I'll, I'll fix it when I get back. So they cleanse the temple. In verses 7 through 9, Nehemiah affected the cleansing once he learned of the evil. He said, I came to Jerusalem. This is a return from King Artaxerxes. And understood the evil that Elisha did for Tobiah. <clears throat> understood means that he came to know in plain, accurate way about the problem. That indicates an investigation. Nehemiah, being a smart man, investigated. Let's, let me find out what's going on. And don't, by the way, don't ever go by half of what you hear. Uh, more problems come because you hear half a conversation investigate and get all the conversations. I've been hung by some people because they heard half of a conversation. My dear wife has been hung because people heard half of a conversation. And without hearing the other half, you know, you're on a phone, and when you hear half a conversation on a phone, my friend, you don't know what's exactly being said. It may sound like you heard something, but that's not what's going on. Get the entire conversation. And people have tried to crucify both of us because they heard half of what was said. And I'm like, no, that's not what was said. Well, I heard it. No, you heard half of it. This is what was said. Oh, oh okay, I'm sorry. You guys have hangings, then you have trials. What's this, what's this the Old West? Be careful with that. Nehemiah investigates first. Always investigate. Always find out what's going on before you start doing things. And so he cast, I like this. I like verse 8. You ought to mark it in your Bible. And it grieved me sore. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Amen. You ought to mark that verse. He went in there and just started flinging things out the front door. Amen. Can you imagine being there? Next thing, there comes a dresser. There comes this flying down the front stairs. Just, and by the way, you know what the Bible calls all your precious Stuff, stuff. <laughs> it's just stuff. I like what Rachel said the other day. Rachel, we were on a class trip, and Rachel and I were walking around the gift shop. And I said, Rachel, anything you want here? She said, no. I don't want anything. I said, there's really nothing here, is there? She goes, no. You got a stuffed shark. You get a fish hat. You know, look like an octopus on your head. And, uh, you, know, and, you know, just just stuff that you put in your room that collects dust mites and it sits there. And, and, and really, at the end of the day, it does absolutely nothing except made you $10 poor. <laughs> my mother used to buy trinkets and my father goes, what are you buying that for? You can't eat it. <laughs> I've thought about that over the years. It's like, you know, you really, I, I agree with my mom. I should have nice stuff in the house, but it's just stuff. My father had stuff. My mother goes, well, you got those tools in the basement. You can't eat those either. I work with those tools. <laughs> so always pleasant conversations in our house. But it's, it's just stuff. And he throws all of his stuff. I love that. If I get to heaven, I'm going to break out the DVR and watch that. Amen. Put that part where he, he, he throws the stuff out there. That's pretty awesome. Amen. Here goes a mattress flying down the stairs. And there's Tobiah watching all this. Wait, that's expensive. <laughs> Watching, it's, it's not expensive anymore. As it goes flying down the stairs, crashing. 
And then he says in verse number 9, Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chamber. <laughs> and they brought again the vessels of the house of God, the meat offering, the frankincense. And so again, he cleanses it. Now, what's that mean to cleanse? Well, first of all, it does cleanse. They went in there and they scrubbed the place down. We don't know how filthy that dirty bum is. Just scrub the place down, wash the walls, and then we're going to pray and ask God to spiritually cleanse this place. God, this is your house. This is your chamber. This belongs to you, and we're dedicating it back to you, and get all the barrels and all the cases and bring everything back in here that originally was in here and, and make sure that guy doesn't come back in here again. So again, there is this cleaning up of the process. So again, for tonight's purposes, we see two things. There's separation and the cleansing of the temple by throwing out a reprobate who had no business being there in the first place. My friends, sometimes in our lives there's things that have no business being in our life. They're not going to help us. Now I'm not talking about getting rid of your stuffed shark. That's not what I'm talking about. You want a stuffed shark? That's fine. It doesn't, you're not going to win Rachel if you give her a stuffed shark, guys. I'm just letting you know. You better have something more, a little serious to it there. But I think I gave my wife, what was my first gift to my wife? I brought my wife a sweater for Christmas. You remember that, sweetheart? Yeah, she does. And I gave my wife a sweater for Christmas, something practical that she can use. Had a, it had an ice skate on it. Yes, it was a winter sweater. Hey, it was 1988. It was in style then. It's coming back, sweetheart, just so you know. I'm going to get her one again. I'm going to go down. It's got to be one of eBay somewhere. Chris, fine. You do that eBay stuff, don't you? Amen? <laughs> Praise God. It's a black sweater with a big ice skate on it, and it's really nice looking. I gave it to her. Next thing I know, it's like a bonfire in the backyard. What's that? Someone in the party selling Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and she got me a briefcase. My first gift, she gave me a briefcase so I can be one of those college boys running around. And I still have her briefcase. Amen, sweetheart? It was a nice gift. And I still got the note. You did wear the sweater, amen. At night when no one was around. Now, I remember the first, when we first got married, I bought her some gifts. And, and I was given strict orders for our first Christmas together. You are not to buy me clothes ever again. That's why I haven't. I mean, because I... I I dressed her 20 years past her age was what apparently the accusation was. So I don't buy my wife clothing. I'm not good at it. Other men can buy their wife's clothes and do a wonderful job at it. I buy clothes, and she claims she's living in Mayberry. And so it just doesn't work. So I buy her jewelry. I buy her Apple watches. I shower her with things that will accentuate her beauty. I buy her stuff. Amen, sweetheart? Thank you. Stuff. What's stuff? When I got saved and or I got right with God, I had stuff. I said, this stuff has to go because this stuff is taking me away from God. I have to get rid of this stuff. And I threw a lot of stuff out because it was pulling me away from Jesus Christ. I didn't want it. I had to go. So, my friend, be careful with what the things we have in our lives that will take us away from serving Almighty God. I have a lot of things. I have a lot of stuff. Things in my house. But I said, this is important. I have things of sentimental value. I have things that belong to family. I have photographs and other memorabilia that have a, 
uh, value to them in my world. But again, it's just stuff. It's just it's not really at the end of the day. It's not important. It's just stuff. And if we're not going to use it for the glory of God, and it's not going to make us better Christians or make me a better person, and educate me to be more intelligent and be more productive in society, then really, and today, what good is it? Again, I'm not preaching against your knickknack or your your lava lamp or whatever else you have in your house or your or uh, you know people like crystal stuff. But well, God bless you, God bless you. It's not wrong. Don't think I'm I'm preaching against you. Shouldn't live in a box with nothing on the walls. Just sit there and stare. No, you, you, God bless you, God. Stuff is not bad. Please, I'm trying to. I'm rambling right now, but stuff is not bad. As long as that stuff does not take you away from Almighty God. That's the key. Let's stand together for prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for Christ who loved us. And Lord, bless this time, bless these people. Thank you for their faithfulness and listening to the word of God this evening. Watch over us and, and bless us in a special way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.